We're going to read together from God's Word now, from Luke chapter 2. Not sure. I think the person who was going to read is away, so I'm going to read for us. From Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. This is on page 1090. 1090, if you're reading from the Pew Bibles. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own, home, their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come to this part of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it reveals Jesus to us. Please help us to understand it now and please work through, us so that, through it so that we would grow to be more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I wonder... Have you ever wished for a new start? I know I have. 
Um, just earlier this week, Jess and I were in a conversation that was going badly. Things were starting to get tense and I realised I'd totally messed up. I'm sorry. Could we have a fresh start? I said. But, but maybe it's something bigger and harder than that for you. Maybe you've wanted to go back before a big mistake and undo it. Maybe you wish you could press reset on a relationship that you've messed up and make things right. Maybe you've wished you could have a fresh go at your life and do things differently. If only you'd studied something different or got a different job or married someone else or invested in Bitcoin when it was ridiculously cheap. Guessing all of us have wished for a new start at some point in our lives. And I wonder if that's why New Year's is actually such a big deal for people. It's really just a change on the calendar. Not, nothing really changes, but people see it as a fresh start. A New Year's resolution is a decision to do something different, to try again. Uh, to, we hope that this year, or this coming year, will be different to last year. Maybe we will be different than we were last year. But a true new start can't come with just a change of date on a calendar. And as much as Jess was gracious to me to start our conversation again, the damage I'd done was still there. New starts aren't that easy to come by, are they? Which is why we so desperately need Jesus. Jesus comes to give us that new start that we need, but maybe not quite like we would expect. Jesus has come to give us something better. He's come to turn our world upside down. In the lead up to Christmas, we've been seeing how Jesus' birth is not just a nice, pleasant story. It's something world-changing, something revolutionary, something that turns the world upside down. In fact, Jesus has come to turn the world back right side up. He lifts up the humble and he brings down the proud. He provides for the poor and cares for the needy. He shows grace and mercy to his enemies and he saves his people. Christmas is over now, so it would be easy for us to just move on to whatever's next. But it's worth us just spending one more week to see how Luke uses two faithful Israelite believers to show us how Jesus is going to turn the world upside down and to show us how Jesus can give us a real new start. So let's dive in. First thing that Luke's, Luke wants us to see about Jesus is that even as a baby, Jesus is law keeper. Remember, Luke's like an investigative journalist. He's spoken to eyewitnesses, he's followed the leads, he's investigated this story so that he can write down what really happened. And he's done it all so that his friend Theophilus can be confident about what he's heard about Jesus. On Christmas Day, we read how Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he was placed in a manger. His birth was announced by angels to shepherds in the field. This baby is a saviour, Christ the Lord. And now he tells us about what happened in the days afterwards. But as we read through this part of Luke, we need to notice something. Remember, one of our key tools in our Bible reading toolkit is to watch out for things that are repeated. And in these few verses, Luke doesn't just tell us what happens, he repeats something three times. See if you can spot it as I read. Verse 21. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Did you spot it? Luke mentions three times in four verses the law. The law of Moses in verse 22 and the law of the Lord in verses 23 and 24. This is the law that God gave to his people. Remember after he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, when he promised to be their God and they would be his people. This law was how he wanted them to live as his people. It was for their good, for their flourishing. For Israel, living in obedient relationship with God would lead to blessing and living in disobedience would lead to curse. Luke wants us to see that Mary and Joseph were keeping this law. They were obeying God's commands. They circumcised Jesus after eight days, exactly as God commanded in Genesis. They name him Jesus, just like the angel told them back in chapter 1, verse 31. Forty days after Jesus was born, they go up to the temple in Jerusalem to bring the offerings for ritual purification, just as God commanded. And they offer the sacrifice commanded. The sacrifice was normally a lamb and a dove, but those who couldn't afford a lamb could offer two doves. Even though Mary and Joseph are not wealthy, they obey God's commands. Why is this so important? Well, Jesus has come to be the saviour of God's people. He is the Christ, God's promised king. God's people have a long history of failing to keep God's law. And they face the consequences. They face the curse. They were conquered by their enemies and taken into exile. Even at the time of Jesus' birth, they are ruled over by foreign powers. But even from infancy, Jesus has been living under the law. First through Mary and Joseph's obedience and later through his own obedience as he grows. Luke is showing us that right from the beginning, Jesus Jesus's law-keeping credentials qualify him to be the saviour of God's people. And that's good for us. Jesus is able to give us a new start because he never needed a new start. He lived in perfect obedience to God, keeping God's law, loving God and loving others. And because he never needed that new start, because of his obedience, he is qualified to give that new start to us. But there's more going on here. See, by going up to the temple, Mary and Joseph are obeying God's law, but they don't realise that they're also on their way to an appointment. An appointment that God has organised so that we might see that Jesus is not just law keeper, he is revealer. Out of nowhere, Luke introduces another character, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know what Simeon's job was. We don't know if he was important and powerful or not. 
But Luke tells us all we need to know. He was a faithful Israelite believer. He was righteous and devout in following the Lord. And that meant he was waiting, waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Luke says he was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. This was what God promised in Isaiah. When Israel suffered under the curse for her sins, God promised to comfort and restore them. That's what Simeon is waiting for. There's an important aside here. Faith means waiting for God's promises. It's been true throughout history. From the time of Adam and Eve, when God promised the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent and save his people. Abraham, when God promised to make him a great nation and bless him and give him the land of Israel. David, when God promised that one of his descendants would rule on the throne forever. By the time we get to Simeon, God's people have been waiting for God's promises for thousands of years. But that's faith. It's confidence in God, confidence that he will keep his promises, that he will deliver what he says. Even if we don't see it today or tomorrow or in our lifetime, we live with confidence that God will keep his promises because he always does. Faith means waiting for us too. We get the benefit of having seen God fulfill all of his promises in Jesus. In a way beyond what we could imagine, he gave us even his own son. But it's not over yet. We are still waiting for when Jesus returns as king to judge the living and the dead, to set all things right, to undo the brokenness of our world, to wipe every tear from our eyes and we will be with him forever. And so for us too, like Simeon, like countless believers throughout history, faith means waiting. Sometimes that's easy and confidence in God's faithfulness comes without effort. Other times it's really hard and we wrestle with doubt and impatience. We suffer and we need to keep asking that God would help us wait patiently and give us greater confidence in him. Faith means patiently waiting for God's promises. But sometimes God graciously bolsters our confidence. And so Sam, Simeon gets to see God's promise. The Holy Spirit tells him he won't die before he sees God's promised king. And this is the day. The Spirit brings Simeon up to the temple at the very same time that God works through the law to bring Mary and Joseph up to the temple. But it's not just for Simeon's sake. Simeon reveals who Jesus is and what he's going to do. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What a moment. Simeon, who's been waiting all of his life for God's promise, holds God's promised king in his arms and praises God. 
But, but look at what he reveals about Jesus. First, he says, Jesus is God's salvation. Through Jesus, God is going to save his people. They're living under the consequences of their sins, but God is, Jesus is going to rescue them. He's going to give them a new start and more. But Jesus isn't just for Jews. That's the second thing. Jesus brings salvation for all peoples. It's there in verse 31. God has prepared this in the presence of all peoples. And it's there in verse 32 as well. Jesus is a light of revelation for the Gentiles. This is like Zechariah's song in chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. Jesus is going to be a light to those in darkness, a light to those who are under the shadow of death. He's going to bring salvation to all who trust in him. And Jesus is for glory to his people Israel. He is revealing the goodness, power and glory of God because Jesus is a fulfilment of all of God's promises. All that God's people have been waiting for for thousands of years. No wonder Mary and Joseph are amazed by what Simeon says. But Simeon's not finished yet. He turns to Mary and we get our first glimpse in Luke that Jesus' ministry is not going to be all smooth sailing. Verse 34. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is going to turn the world upside down. He's appointed for the fall and rising of many. This is what Mary said in her song, how Jesus would bring down the proud and exalt the humble, provide for the hungry but scatter the rich. Jesus is going to turn things on their head. No matter he's going to be opposed. In, In fact, Jesus is going to reveal the thoughts of many hearts. Because it will be their reaction to Jesus that reveals where their hearts are really at. About 33 years later, in the same temple court, there will be some who respond to Jesus with faith and others who plot his death. Not far from there, in 33 years, many will shout, crucify him, crucify him. And through that, the true state of their hearts will be revealed. The Pharisees, who outwardly look holy, will be revealed for the whitewashed tombs they are. Self-righteous religious people who reject God's salvation and plot Jesus' death. And yet the blind who call out to Jesus will see. The sick will be healed, children will be welcomed, prostitutes and tax collectors will find forgiveness and welcome. Humble and broken sinners will be forgiven and loved their response to Jesus will reveal their hearts. Which is actually another challenge to us. See, our response to Jesus will reveal our hearts too. All of us are sinners who are in desperate need of God's forgiveness and grace. We've all rebelled against God and need a new start. And Jesus has come to give that new start to give us forgiveness and adoption as God's loved sons and daughters, to give us the Holy Spirit working in us to change us to be more and more like Jesus. Eventually, when Jesus returns, there will be no more sickness or sadness or sorrow or pain, only a glorious eternity with him, the perfect new start. 
And this new start is for all those who humble themselves and respond to Jesus with faith. Those who recognise their desperate need for Jesus and come to him. And those who keep seeing their need for Jesus and keep coming to him, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you will always need him. But if we reject Jesus... If we insist on doing things our own way, that we can earn all this for ourselves, then we show we haven't really understood it at all. That is just continuing to live in rebellion against God. How we respond to Jesus reveals our hearts. What does it reveal about your heart? The rejection of Jesus by many in Israel won't just reveal their own hearts, it will pierce Mary's very soul with grief. Not all is going to go smoothly in Jesus' ministry, but that's part of the plan, so that God can save his people. Simeon wasn't actually the only appointment that Joseph and Mary had in the temple that day, even though they didn't know it. Next we meet Anna, And we see that Jesus isn't only revealer, he is also redeemer. Like Simeon, Anna is a faithful Israelite believer and she's got an amazing story. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna's life has been a difficult one. In the ancient world, widows would rely on others for financial support. But despite her difficulty, Anna is devoted to the Lord. She's been hanging around the temple, worshipping the Lord for about 60 years. She's fasting and praying, crying out to God to keep all of his promises to his people. And now she gets to see God's answer. The great yes to all God's promises is there in the arms of Simeon. And like Simeon, she responds with praise and thanks to God. Verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of of Jerusalem. Remember, faith means waiting patiently for God's promises. And Simeon and Anna aren't the only ones who've been waiting. It seems there's a cohort of faithful believers who are waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And in this case, they're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. As a capital, Jerusalem probably stands here for all of Israel. They're waiting for God to redeem his people. And redemption, it's a, it's a marketplace word. It means a costly, sacrificial rescue. In the ancient world, if you went bankrupt, you could sell yourself into slavery. It would be okay if you had a good master, but you're still a slave. One day you can buy buy your way out, but it might take your whole life unless someone redeems you. Unless someone comes and pays the price to redeem you from slavery and to set you free. That's redemption. A costly sacrificial rescue and that's what Jesus has come to do 
to give his own life to redeem his people, to rescue them from slavery to sin and give them a new start as his people. That new start is not just a blank slate where you have to earn your way again. Jesus redeems us and gives us grace to live as his people. We belong to him. That's what Jesus has come to do. Jesus is Redeemer. Anna can't help but tell everyone about this. She speaks of Jesus to all who will listen, all who are waiting for the redemption of God's people. Is that our response to Jesus too? To immediately give thanks to God and speak of him to everyone we can? See, when we really get the good news of what Jesus has done, how he turns the world upside down, puts it right side up, gives us a real new start, it makes sense that we'll give thanks. It makes sense that we won't stop talking about it. Now, I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm saying that the more we grasp the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus, the more we'll want to praise him and tell others. In the coming year, we're going to be working as a church at growing in outreach, growing in sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. But it has to start with seeing the wonder of what Jesus has done for us and praying that God would work through us to bring people to himself. Which brings us to our final point. Not only is Jesus revealer and redeemer, Jesus is truly human. Verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. See, again, Luke wants us to see that Jesus has the law-keeping credentials to be our saviour. When they finished everything according to God's law, they went home to Galilee. And then... Jesus has a mostly normal childhood. He grows up, he gets stronger, he grows in wisdom and God's favour is upon him. We need to notice here both how ordinary Jesus is and his central place in God's plan of salvation. First, see how ordinary Jesus is. Jesus has truly become human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus doesn't beam down ready to go like Captain Kirk. He truly grows up. He's a baby who probably breastfeeds. He toddles and learns to walk. He doesn't speak 15 languages from infancy. He has to learn. His brain develops and grows. Jesus has to go through puberty with all the challenges that that involves. He has to learn and gain wisdom the hard way. Over time, listening to his mum and adopted dad, being taught God's word at the synagogue, learning just like us. Jesus is really, truly human. We don't read much in the Bible about Jesus' childhood. We get one more story in Luke of Jesus at the temple at about age 12. Why is that? It's because Jesus just has an ordinary childhood. He lives in ordinary life. He grows up in ordinary ways. And this is pretty amazing when you think about it. God the Son, the Word through whom all things were made, the one who sustains all things in the world, in the universe, willingly humbled himself to this, to 30 years of growing up, to puberty, learning, 
ordinary life. It also shows the value that God puts on the ordinary way that he made the world. It's normal for things to take time, for us to grow through normal, ordinary processes that God designed. God doesn't expect everything to happen overnight. He is working on a different time scale to us. He's willing for things to take time. It's part of his design of the world. Jesus is truly human. But also notice the central place that Jesus has in God's plan for salvation. Luke's description here should remind us of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 2.26, we were told that Samuel grew both in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. And Luke is reminding us of that. Just like Samuel had a key place in God's plan to save his people, so does Jesus. But much, much more so, Jesus is the fulfilment of all of God's promises. Samuel was a part of the plan, but Jesus is the plan. It's all about him. Jesus lives in obedience to God and God's favour is upon him. And this is another way that he's truly human. We're designed to live in obedient relationship with God. We've all fallen short of this, but Jesus is true human, living in perfect relationship with God, honouring God always. And because he's done this, he is able to take the punishment that we deserve on the cross so that we can have forgiveness and grace and mercy, so that we can have a new start. Jesus is the one who is truly human for us. I think we've all longed for a new start at one point or another, right? But in Jesus, we have that and more. Through faith in him, our sins are paid for and forgiven. Our shame has been taken on the cross. His obedience counted for us. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters, given grace to live for him, the gift of the Holy Spirit changing us to be more like him. And we look forward to the day when we will be with him forever. But for now, we wait patiently for God's promises. But we do it with confidence confidence because of who Jesus is. He is law keeper for us. He is revealer of our hearts, shining light into our darkness. He is redeemer, saving us from the power of sin. And he is truly human, humbling himself as our servant and living in obedient relationship with God for us. Because of who Jesus is, we can wait for him with confident hope. That's something worth thanking God for and worth sharing with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the truly obedient one who kept your law on our behalf. We thank you that he is the revealer who shines his light into the darkness of our hearts and gives us the light of life. We thank you that he is redeemer, who by his costly sacrificial death has saved us from slavery to sin and set us free to live as your people. And thank you that Jesus is truly human, who humbled himself to serve us and to live in obedience to you. Father, this morning we ask that you would stir our hearts afresh with who Jesus is and what he's done. And Lord, that from that, we would overflow in thanks to you 
and an eagerness to speak of Jesus to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.